0: Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. This is Sarah Miller, your host for The Axis Effect. And I'm here with Prajal Ghatak, the CEO of OnLoop. Hi, Prajal. Thanks for joining me for the third time in a row, which never happened.
1: Hey, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you made this work.
0: Oh, my God. It's so funny. Like, like we, it's like we third time's a charm. We've had a schedule, reschedule, because of time chains. And I love that all of these glitches and getting us on this podcast and getting you scheduled is all a collaborative team effort, which is perfect because all the, like, Glitches and all the like bumps we've gone through is exactly what On Loop is all about. We're kind of a good case study for project management since we kept screwing up our times on the podcast. But I'm glad to finally have you on to talk about this. You have a tremendous background. So I'm going to kind of back up a little bit here. You spent a few years head of international business development and strategy for Uber. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about, we got to talk with the leadership here. First of all, this is amazing. I know you guys just came up or you guys just got awarded a huge award, the technology pioneer at the World Economic Forum. So congrats on that. And I love that you went from Uber, which we're going to discuss Uber and its leadership or lack thereof. And then you're over at OnLoop. Did you move to OnLoop to create this based on the experience over at Uber or was it just content that fell into your lap and you decided it was time to move on because we don't believe everything in the news, but we all know what a mess Uber was. And did all that chaos of running strategy internationally for a big company, what kind of, in your mind, went around of a better project management system? And is that why you decided to create Onloop?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like Onloop was, was definitely born out of personal pain. And that pain specifically was running large teams, often in different parts of the world, And not feeling like I had a good sense of what was going on with each team member or how to make them the most effective. And then that pain really culminated every six months when we went through sort of a traditional performance management and performance review process, where we had people spend weeks and write out these reviews that took a lot of time. But when we went to sort of rate people or think about their bonuses or, or sort of who to promote you were still largely making stuff up from memory because none of the reviews that were written could actually be utilized well in calibration rooms for skim value. And so the sort of birth of On Loop is really a culmination of of me having worked in a bunch of different organizations. I spent a few years in Accenture Management Consulting at the beginning of my career. I also sort of spent a couple of years at Stanford Business School where we spent a lot of time focusing on, on goals and feedback and how important they were but my experience of team development in the workplace was very different from what I was taught as the right ways to do it. And so, so after leaving Uber, I decided to sort of take that matter in our own hands and, and rethink a product approach from scratch. And that's how we sort of came up with the product idea for On OnLoop and, and what we call collaborative team development or CTD as a new approach for developing hybrid teams.
0: Was it hard leaving Uber because it was such a big company and then you went from a monster like the Goliath monster of in the tech industry, great success and filled your story, all rolled into one, to a startup mode with OnLoop. How did, I mean, because, you know, we talk about leadership and you're leading big project and development, you know, internationally for Uber And then you're going from leading. I mean, I guess it's kind of the similar same, but not really. You're leading a monster company, a monster development team within a big company. You're still leading a different company, a different team, but it's kind of like the same skill set. You're still in charge. You're still leading, still strategic. I mean, do you find it like just the grass is always greener or are you happy to just manage your team and a smaller scale as opposed to what was going on with Uber. I can only imagine how difficult that was to lead teams through past five, six years, because you were there for, I think, six years or seven years running international for them.
1: Uber also changed a lot as a company over the years. And so when I left in late 2019, at that point, it was a public company. At that point, it was a company that had 27,000 people globally. And I think for a lot of people who have been in and around technology. The dream of starting something from scratch always exists in some shape or form. However, as a, as a founder, I wasn't really ever sort of mesmerized by the idea of being a founder. I knew that unless I was super passionate about what I was solving, the sort of risk-reward or the effort-reward ratio doesn't pan out super well. But as I left Uber and reflected on what was next and actually gave myself six months to sort of go through a reflection exercise and and think through what makes the most sense, just my personal experiences and pain with assessing, developing and running teams kept coming back. And I think that was a clear enough sign that it made sense to dig into that problem and try and solve it. But if you're a larger company, you just get used to having more resources. So the many things that you take for granted that you just can't as as you probably know, Sarah, running your company too. And so, you know, that that definitely becomes a shift. But I think the joy of creating something from nothing is is hard to replicate in a bigger company.
0: Did you always want to run your own company? Because I never thought in a million years. Because I worked for a large company up in Palo Alto. I was up there, God, when the heydays, the go-go days of all the tech and the bubbles, and everybody in the you know hundred thousand dollar VC back cocktail parties, just because they had the money to do monster launches. Here today, gone tomorrow. And I never in a million years thought, from you know working with a big team up there in a the big agency globally, I'd be leading my own teams running my own PR firm, doing Mm. my own thing and expanding from there. And people always say, wow, that's so amazing. I'm like, it's not any more or less than anything else. I feel like the grass is not green, it's a different shape. It's got to figure out what level of stress, what level of performance that you can handle. Because I mean, there's leaders, there's followers, there's nothing wrong with either. But being a leader is not the same thing as Leading a team within a company is one thing, but being out on your own where you can't put any blame anywhere, it starts and stops with you as a CEO, that level of stress and a daily grind Mm -hmm. is not the same thing. But there's benefits you know to everything as well i mean did you always know you wanted to lead and have your own company or was it uber where you're like i have all these great ideas i know how to handle customers and partnerships without the politics i could do it quicker and better and still perform and still do what's right i mean where was that tipping point for you to go from running on the inside of a monster company to I'm going to start my own. Because that's a whole different, like I have a lot of mad respect for like founders like you who go out on their own as a startup. I mean, it is not an easy job.
1: No, you too. I would love to hear more about your story too. For me, I think there did exist a dream to give it a shot at some point. And I I feel like if I'd gone through life not giving it a shot, there would have probably been some regret around it. However, I can safely say that nothing prepares you for it and sort of the mental health journey you go through as a founder is something that unfortunately does not get spoken about a lot and i and i and i really believe yeah. should be spoken about a lot because ultimately it does become a game of mental resilience and being able to sort of handle that anxiety and and for me the the sort of the biggest change was everything felt existential whereas when you're in yeah. a bigger company it doesn't. And I, and I think that transition was definitely difficult. And I'm lucky that I have access to the right support and the right help in forms of a coach and a therapist that allows me to sort of continue to work on myself and, and continue to upskill my mental resilience and, and my mental game to sort of ready myself for the challenges that come. But I, I tell people you, when, you, when you climb Mount Everest, you train for years before you do it. But when you become a founder people are like sure i'll just i'll just do it and and there's not a lot of real training that happens before and you sort of have to do that while flying the plane mid-air with one sort of engine <laughs> blown out so, so, so.
0: we're just going to go to the extreme here of what it takes to land the plane, and it's funny because i always like say like you know we learned back when we had ag as a client we learned how to land jumble jets on driveways because yeah. We cleaned up the messes, strategically did the go to market, did all the PR, but we had a monster global event and we had to shift and pivot to probably what was completely manic and crazy and nobody thought was possible. It was almost impossible to achieve what we're able to. So I always joke around that we learned how to land jumbo jets on driveways, but you know, you always have to land no matter what it is. So I do love your analogy on leadership and everything of it. And and what I love also, I mean, not just the fact that you pivoted over, you've had this company for a few years now. The- yes,
1: yeah, so it's, so it's coming about two and a half years.
0: Yeah, and it's great. And you, you're you using AI, so you're not just creating a better mousetrap of how to coordinate and manage collaborative and performance reviews and really team management. You're taking a step further by jumping into, leaning into technology, mm-hmm. leading to what you know where the future is for more productivity with AI. And I love that you're doing this because we're always talking about a lot. There's a lot going on with AI right now. And ChatGPT, yeah. I was at breakfast with a good friend, and he said, they're using it, feeding it so much stuff. It kicked out a monster presentation deck mm. on a global event for them. And I was like, oh my God. Then I was told by somebody to start using a different one for press releases and stuff. So I feel like everybody's going crazy. Well, our jobs were replaced by robots. And we were all laughing years ago when people were yeah. saying that. But now it's like. Ah, I can make it easier, quicker, less painful using AI. But let's, I, I want to talk to you about this because I haven't jumped into it yet. I mean, we've been a few podcasts. I'm just starting to get the hang of my ChatGPT account, but I have to keep feeding it details every day to train it what to look for and how to do it. And like that to me is so exhausting because you got to spend mm. hours every day just feeding it a bunch of information. Like I know you're using it and you're using AI. You're using GPT-3, using it to do like employee reviews, performance reviews. Like talk me through this process because yeah. you guys have your prism technology in there, your product, but you have to feed it every day in order for it to start learning your patterns and what to do. How are you trusting AI to do a performance review on somebody when it's just feeding whatever being given that may or may not be accurate at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, totally. So we see sort of ChatGPT as a summarization culmination tool in our product. So essentially, the individual bite sized captures on specific situations are captured by a manager or a peer or individual. And then we run it through OpenAI GPT 3 engine, which is a precursor to ChatGPT to help summarize and compile it and build out a narrative. And that sort of Transformation of disparate phrases and and tags and sentences into a well-written narrative has already been pre-trained in the GPT-3 engine based on other data it's ingested. So we don't really have to do much training on top of it, other than supply it with the prompts that has the original specific sort of bite-sized feedback captures that it's able to transform. I think the beauty of where generative AI is going is no different from the industrial revolution, other than sort of the more wider ubiquity of some of these use cases. And and frankly, you know, now when I when I think about writing an article or or thinking about a book title or uh, needing to research any particular topic, it's such a huge zero to twenty sort of workflow hump that ChatGPT gets you over because often when you start something for a blank slate, you just get stuck. And so it's such a powerful tool to unleash human creativity in so many ways. And I think what it allows humans to do is focus on the things that are truly human. And, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit now that we've lived in an era of knowledge work in the last sort of two, three decades That's likely going to transform to an era of emotion work in the next two or three decades where a lot of this, quote unquote, simpler knowledge work can probably be automated. In the same way, a lot of the simpler manufacturing got automated 40, 50, 60 years ago. And this is not any different. And it's a move in the right direction. Whenever there's something new and disruptive, there's a lot of hype in either direction. People are worried about there's no more homework in school, but frankly... Despite calculators and computers, people still learn math. And so despite chat GPT, we'll still learn how to write essays and do creative writing. And we'll figure out a way to keep the tech out. But I think we live in incredibly powerful times to see what technology like this can do to enable us even further.
0: Yeah, and and I'm always a big believer, you know, lean into tech, you know, You way know, to thrive and thrive is if you understand it I'm not saying use it but you got to understand you got to know what it's there for and I know I read an article that the schools or universities in New York will not allow it because people are figuring out if I'm going to use chat GPT to write my essay that's paper that's I so I got a four or five page essay paper if I get an A on is written by intelligence that may not have been my my mouth Harding. and so they're now trying to like like kill the technology and i do get i do get some technologies yeah i, I mean there, there's a fine line there like for me to i want to write a paper or a book mm-hmm. or a leadership for a client do we want to go spend you know billable hours writing a white paper do i just you know spend two three hours feeding in a few keywords and let chat Give me back what I need, but then you're putting somebody's name on something they didn't write. And I love that that argument because whatever it gives to you, it's not going to give to anybody else in the world. Yeah. Mean, it was yours, but I, I see why the schools are kind of saying, "Hold on, here we can't have kids submitting papers that they never wrote, they never learned." But uh, it's just like, but you got to understand, the more technology savvy you are the better off you are in your career down the road. Do you remember like, we were always like, okay, at least in the US, I know you're over in Singapore. It was always like, we're always so far behind some of these other countries in technology and then mm-hmm. so many new technologies out there and like the music industry had it just refuses to adapt to new technologies on the digital platform so they're yeah. still messing and hurting and then the host sports came online so you know we're going to use a whole experiential we're going to deal with all of this and then all the nfts and you know that whole fan base engagement through digital mobile they've adapted the right way. Mm-hmm. So we kind of go through these phases, you know, from the avatars from 3D and VR AR, we're going through where certain industries are leaning into it and doing well. And then there's others who is just they're finding ways to break it to shortcut it. But I feel like we've got to find that balance. But since the pandemic, we were all like stopped at home, slowed down, figure out what was yeah. going on. And I think that was when the technology for the first time superseded human intelligence and got ahead of us. We're always trying to catch up with technology. We're always trying to lead with technology. We're always trying to find better technology to lead that better experience. But now when we were down, technology got ahead of us. And now we're scrambling to get caught up. We went through the whole NFT market, which is a whole nother yeah. thing we have on that. The whole crypto because it got so ahead of us, but now the AI got further ahead of us because it worked quicker and faster. So now we're scrambling to catch up to AI. And I think, I just think that the dynamics of technology and how we are as leaders and CEOs and like big companies and little companies use tech was we wish there was something like that. We're looking mm-hmm. for the next big thing. Now technology got so. Far ahead of us during those two years of being on lockdown, we're scrambling to catch up to figure out how to use it and mm-hmm. how to make it work before the next one comes. And I, I just like how history just completely turned us upside down on this.
1: No, totally. One thing that I've been doing more lately is study history and and sort of understand previous eras when you know similar or or somewhat parallel. Leaps were made, and 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 how the world adjusted, and how they moved on, because that takes away some of the sensationalism. Same thing with with capital markets and recessions and inflation yeah. and downturn, and and what's going on right now looks exactly like in the in the nineteen seventies, and it's not it's it's not that different. But we tend to we tend to forget that because these things happen once in a lifetime, and so unless you actually go back and and read and understand what panned out. You feel like it's all new, but but there's flavors that have happened in the past. And so I feel like as I get older, I, I definitely become more of a history buff and try and sort of read the past to potentially help navigate the future.
0: Well, you kind of have to know, understand and appreciate your past to understand where you are now to try totally. to figure out where you're on the future. And Let's talk about on loop. And so I know a lot of people use Slack. Like I... Mm. I used to hate I have so many screens and so many social media platforms, and there's text, there's WhatsApp, there's there's so much going on. I know Slack was really good for collaborative and stuff. You guys are working on loop is working mainly, I'm not saying mainly, but only with Slack, I think. But you're using the AI. So if we're using Slack and we've got a lot of people collaborating and a lot going on, are you is this where On Loop is coming in? You're taking all of that data content meetings notes and you're using the ai model to recap it out to everybody is that an accurate or am i way off base
1: so we don't passively read anything on slack yeah. or we're not we're not monitoring anything that's going on the primary surface for onloop is a mobile app and actually in our user base we we find that as a surface to be the one that gets used the most uh, we also integrate into slack we also integrate into email We integrate into other various corporate systems that people have to to get sort of records of people in the organization in and out. But we are very much focused on data that will help us understand development of people versus meetings or work getting done or other task-oriented things. We're not a project management tool. We're not necessarily a communication tool. We're a team development product. And our objective is to collect the information that we need to understand what's going on with, with each team member and a team holistically to help take that forward. We think the products to get work done are great. We use Notion and, and Zoom and, and Slack in and, and our company, but the tools to make people better or give team members clarity or help them achieve full potential have been super lacking behind. And that's where we're building Loop to catch up with uh, the tools that have helped work get done.
0: Okay. So take me through the steps. So yeah. I, you could go on to onloop.com. And if you're not sure if you need Onloop, you could take those questions. If you want more insight to your team's development, are you encouraging them to all, you know, to work the way you want in AI? Do you understand what their daily tasks are? It gives you a few really great general questions. And then mm-hmm. you know, do you need it? But take me through an example mm-hmm. of how Onloop works.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the examples we, we're super proud of and talk about a lot, we, we work with a 65-person creative agency called Socialize that's HQ'd out of Dubai, but they're also part of the broader We Are Social group. And they came to us about a year ago, not feeling like they had full clarity on what each team member was really working towards, what their core strengths were, what they were looking to develop in. And they were just not having the right development conversations with the right data, given the tool sets that they had. And so we've been working with them over the last year to implement OnLoop in the organization and implement sort of this framework around collaborative team development. And actually, their head of strategy in a recent interview sort of just spoke about how OnLoop's been able to change how people have thought about feedback yeah. in the in the organization and sort of. Take away a lot of the negativity that comes with the term feedback and, and look at it much more from the angle of, of guidance and really spur the development conversations happening that weren't happening before. And a lot of this is through the implementation of the product, but also an overall habit forming program that sort of makes people capture more of the bite sized real time data into the product and have that compound over time. So we will typically come into an organization and can very quickly get everybody on board. We were sick and tired of software products that would take people months to implement. That's not how it should be. (laughs) we be, We should be able to get things in people's hands quickly and up and running. And then organizations can build various rituals as well as the product has ability to remind you at the right time to sort of on the go, capture either goals or pieces of celebrates around yourself or your team members or specific levels of improvement feedback or your day-to-day well-being. And so that sort of gets prompted by the app on a regular basis. And then when you want to create a summary, which is typically at the end of a quarter or end of six months, typically we recommend people do it on the quarter. You can press a button and generate something called a prism summary in the product that then summarizes all of the various inputs and gives you a nicely formatted written out and that's
0: that's 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 powered by that's powered by open ai so all that data for collaborative team development for growth inspiration what's working what's not how you're kind of bringing out your best talent work with each other all of this stuff you just you're inputting every the management team on a daily weekly monthly basis and that's right short keywords short short tags and as it just keeps compounding and then it's shareable, then the AI comes at the end to pull it all together into a a, a review of for that quarter or month based on what's been going on.
1: That's correct. And so, so it becomes much more sort of rooted in what's going on versus typically when people do reviews as a snapshot, it has tons of recency bias. It makes people anxious about having to come up with these documents from yeah. scratch and typically take up so much time. So it goes back to what we were talking about, ChatGPT, if you're trying to write an article, you know, people have writer's block in writing anything. <laughs> yeah. Think about having to write 20 reviews on your colleagues. And so we don't think that managers should be essay writers about their people. Mm-hmm. What they should be good at is, is observing behaviors and pointing them out. And, and that's what the app helps you do is really help identify what each past person's superpowers or blind spots might be. And then and then use technology to narrate or summarize or or collate what's going on. And so it's really about flipping the process around into what feels a lot more intuitive versus sort of a backwards compliance process.
0: And I love that because it is, I mean, nobody likes writing reviews and we I think we are all a little biased at a management
1: level sure yeah. we see
0: the good bad and different we want you to improve we want you to do this we want to be an open mind but between the politics that you get these big huge companies, CEOs of conglomerate global companies it's, it's hard as human beings to not form biases if you have all your employees you want them all to do well you want the company to move forward in the right direction everybody to really be inspired and motivated to collaborate but it, i think it's hard and i think this is good if it takes the biasness out of these reviews because let's be honest everybody knows yeah they always say my boss my manager's an asshole or i don't get along we don't see eye to eye we're just laws of attraction there's no chemistry we don't really do drinks he just has his style i mean but even though certain people do a really good job i know that a lot of people feel like they're not valued or they're not appreciative, and because it's it's, it's based on bias. Because mm. I'm not saying that that's always the case. People just deserve to be fired. They just aren't good at what they do, or they don't care. Let's just be honest. There's no way around that. But then people do stay because they have a relationship when they shouldn't. People don't get the credit they deserve or the promotions or the support because it's a personality conflict, but they're more than qualified. So I do think removing the biasness from this, is such a clean way to motivate and inspire your team to do better. Because if you really need all of that, you're not going to get if somebody's biased towards or against something else or has their own agenda. So I love that it's kind of like a clean slate. If you're at any job, any team, you're earning what you're putting into it and you're getting the accolades that you deserve, that you need to keep moving forward. And it does no biasness, no emotions in between. So, what is kind of, yeah, I mean, we're talking about robots. There's no emotions. It's pure facts. It's science, yeah. math. There's, you can't bullshit through that. But I feel like you touched on something in the beginning a while ago, but all about, you know, the mental. Like, I feel like the stress of being an executive, I feel like using AI, using Onloop to manage the collaboration, do all of this. Do you think that helps people just be a little bit more mentally and emotionally focused and more? present than not because and we when we talked about this, there's such a mental and emotional like drain of being a CEO, of being pushed into a bigger position than you're ready for? And I know it takes a toll on a lot of people and a lot of people say they're fine. A lot of people smile, keep pushing yeah. forward, you know, And but on the inside, half of them, we know they're broken. They're breaking down. They're emotionally drained. They're mentally, they're stressed, but you got to keep showing a good face. And I feel like leaning into AI and the technology, does that take some of the burden off or do you think that helps or do you think that keeps everybody from talking more when they do need to reach out for guidance and leadership.
1: I think one of the things that gets spoken a lot about stress management or anxiety management is sort of just decluttering the mind, right? Yeah. And 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 obviously there's a there's a lot that goes on in your head constantly around various aspects of of getting work done, running a team and I, and I think what project management tools have done is that it's helped drive that declutter with regards to getting work done, and we want to sort of use the same principles to declutter in knowing that my team is doing well and on track. And I think that's that's what the move to hybrids done as well in terms of made it harder for leaders to really assess if teams are moving in the right direction. There's a, there's a term that Microsoft came up called the productivity paranoia that's really gripped mm-hmm hybrid teams around the world where leaders are not sure whether their employees are productive, but employees feel they're more productive sitting at home. And that's really because of a lack of clarity and visibility into what's going on. And the current tools have been largely built around an in-office culture and don't give us the right fidelity of information to feel Sort of secure that everything's moving in the right direction, and and with our product, we want to give managers and their teams that peace of mind that things are, and when things aren't, that will get highlighted quite quickly, versus you having to dig through it and keep pinging your team members and and asking where things are and 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 what's going on, and so so much about management is just anxiety reduction, yeah. <laughs> and I think the both the pandemic as well as the post-pandemic shift to hybrid with the current set of tools and processes has definitely increased everyone's anxiety. And that's pushing a lot of leaders to also ask their teams to come back to the office full time. But, but uh, I feel like
0: they're not coming back. And this is what I love about what we're talking about on Loop. people are still staying hybrid. One yes, is cheaper. Why should I pay people to be in the office? I could downscale, be more productive, have you know calmer, less mental anguish and anxiety, but it's also cheaper because I'm not paying for the big space and the overhead. Long as you're productive at home, and I know some companies want people back in the office because, mm-hmm. like you said, they want to know that they're actually working, not just home slacking off. And there's people who are more productive at home because they're not around such an anxious environment. It's quiet, and they're just able to focus and get back into their groove to where they know their productive times of the day are better than it was. Grinding through meetings at an office. So I do get, this is the new normal. We will always be yeah. a hybrid society. We'll never go back to an office society. We we'll, it, It's just not going to happen. And I love this, but you're not an
1: office. You guys are virtual, right? We're global and hybrid. So we have offices in Singapore and New York. We have, and so you, know.
0: when you started on, you started on loop two years ago during the pandemic.
1: 100%, 100% okay. remote. And, yes. and
0: were you, and yeah. So let's talk about this. Were you as a CEO then, Tell me where the difference is. You Were you yeah. constantly like, okay, we're all over the place. What are you doing? What are you working on? I need to know Then you start stressing that with all this stuff going on. Oh, my God. Did I talk to that employee or that vendor, that employee? Did they get this done? I got to ping them again. Where is that report? Why is this not being done? I mean, did you actually put on loop, like, were you your own beta? And did you
1: Absolutely. see the difference? Part of the reason why we've kept the team global and hybrid because it's important for us to feel our own pain to solve it. And so a lot of the intuition around product development also comes from having a very diverse global org. And so we are able to suss out our own problems better than even our customers tell us. And that actually really helps you when you're your own customer and you get to learn. But I will say it is it is incredibly hard running a global remote org. And I think especially when you're a younger company, and, you know, you have to work harder than the average company. It is much harder to rally people and get them inspired yeah. and sort of hunker down and go through tough times if people are spread out. If you're in the same room, you can go and grab dinner together. You can, you can go have a laugh in the same room. And that makes work feel less like work. It's very doable to create that psychological belonging across borders and across geographies but it is tougher and requires leaders to be a lot more deliberate about forming that culture versus just hoping that it happens by osmosis. whereas if you think about the sort of startup culture folklore it's about six dudes in a room coding away and and hanging out like that's just not what it is anymore and and that requires deliberate change and deliberate Evolution of habits, which is never. Easy, well, see, I but... think
0: that's where the mental stress of work comes in with everybody, because we were we had that as much as it drove us crazy to be around the water cooler and dealing with people in our faces and not having our space. I felt like we we went on lockdown, and mm. now we're not going back to that. But I feel like I mean, it's it's not just being an employee; it's you know, as a leader, as a CEO, your friends, your board, your advisors. Life has shifted. We are in a high yeah. world from this point on, from events to anything. And so I do think it's harder for people to understand. I think you have to make a little bit more of an effort to reach yes. out to those who. If you need help, if you're stressed, I think as a CEO, you got to make more of an effort to reach out to those you relied on that you need to bounce things off of. You need to talk to. I mean, we don't. We normally don't tell me most CEOs you don't talk to your staff anyways because you're at such a higher level. So, but you know, I used to go grab drinks and dinner with um, other CEOs and my advisors constantly. And but now nobody does that. So you have to pick up the phone. You have yeah. to make the effort. And I see a lot of these guys, you know, on social media pick up the phone, check in on somebody. If somebody always does their Zoom calls with their video off, or if you don't hear from them or they're short and their answers, there's just no reason or excuse to ignore a relationship. Mm Friends, coworkers, there's no reason to walk away from somebody. If somebody wants to talk to you, we used to ignore phone calls and texts, but they're saying, pick up the phone now. Don't rely on technology. This is where technology has like kind of no future when it comes to human interaction and really talking and checking up on people because they need that face-to-face they need to feel like they're seen and heard and they need to feel like okay i feel better just having a conversation with you 20 minutes dinner whatever it is because they needed that like they just needed that connection and i feel like That is more prevalent now. People thought, well, you know, pandemic's over, whatever. People are back going around again. But they're not. They're really not. And I think there's still a huge struggle of how to adjust in a post-pandemic world. And I I think we're still not even at the um, height of that right now. And that's where I feel like like you said, if I could offload a release, a report, Mm. a proposal into AI, Mm. That's my time to focus on me, the mental, the spiritual, emotional, whatever your me time is, whether it's to go talk to somebody, reach out, we're not grinding through 10, 11 o'clock at night and emails and reports on our computers. Technology should be easing that for us. So that is that one-on-one time to actually connect with the people you need to.
1: No, absolutely. And and we are very much on the ground floor of figuring out how hybrid works and, yeah. and, and sort of the next, phase of globalization. I think in the last 50 years, if you wanted that dream job, you flew around the world to go find it. If you wanted to work in technology, you moved to Silicon Valley or you wanted Mm. to work in finance, you moved to New York or London. I think in the next 50 years, the world's best jobs will come to people and sort of they will go find them where they are. And then we will build technology, be it sort of new VR tech as well or, or better ways to interview folks to make that experience feel more immersive across borders versus getting everybody into the same room.
0: Well, I think they're still saying, hey, relocation, you have to be or you have to move here, and I do get that, but I think that may be also an excuse for people to get out to take that mm-hmm. but I feel yeah. like, I feel like there was a lot, jobs are going to change, you're right. It's going to be, you could work at a huge corporation in London or Germany or Singapore from LA or New York. Totally. Since Arizona, we don't care because you have that skill set. You just fly back and forth when you can. I yep. Very few companies that I know of are actually making anybody in their executive team, more or less the CEO, physically move to their location, especially overseas, as such an expense and grind to move somebody and the cost overseas to you, whether it's London or Singapore, to run a global company knowing that they may not be there. There's a big adjustment and everything. And I feel like people who are forcing to, or people who want to move, they want to leave where they're at. Otherwise, I feel like there's so much we could do without having to make that transition. And I think companies don't want to spend the money moving you to another country and dealing with all of that stuff. But unless you really want to, I get it. But your hybrid model, globalization, we are already there. And mm-hmm. just trying to get into it. And so I, I just think there's a lot to be said about how we're moving into this next 50 years, into this next revolution of evolution of where we're going, you know?
1: No, absolutely. And we we live in very exciting times. And, yeah. you know, to your point, the only way we can move forward is by embracing it and, and figuring out how we keep building for this new normal. Yeah,
0: What's next for OnLoop? I know we're wrapping up here, like, like, what's going on? Is there something? I know you guys are fairly new, which is awesome. I know I love that you left Uber, the pain you lived through at Uber, and created a solution to it on your own. Like, what's next? Is there anything? Like, what's in the future for 2023 when it comes to bettering our managerial development and communications through OnLoop? Is it better? AI, yeah. more products.
1: Mm. It's a combination of things. Like, so on the on the product side. We keep working on sort of more ways in which the newer technology can help manager and teams be more effective. So even in the realms of giving and receiving specific pieces of feedback, I think there's a lot more that AI can do in the coming months to ease the awkwardness, ease the difficulty of those experiences. We're trying to codify sort of what's going on at a team level into a more quantitative score. We take a lot of inspiration from fitness and what's happened with the Aura Ring and the Whoop Band and their ability to take things like diet, exercise, and sleep, and then quantify it a little bit better to help people take next yeah. action. So, so we're very focused on how do we create habit? And then how do we use the best in behavioral science and AI to keep creating that habit? And then sort of bring our technology to more and more folks and, and successfully be able to deploy it in even larger organizations and show the change it can drive as we sort of get to our next fundraising round. We've raised about five and a half million uh, in the last yes. couple of years. And so we're quite heads down focused on executing and and making the park better, making the team better and, and serving more customers.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I love that you said that. I was actually looking at the aura Ring and just amazing how technology is evolving and running our lives. I always joke that the smarter the technology get, the dimmer we get as people. Cause we're so yeah. reliant, like on, on our cell phones, our smartphones, talking to Suri, AI that like, if like this more of the technology, the dumber we got, because we are, we're not training to keep our minds sharp, to remembering stuff. So we could just go chat to something or go into Siri or like look at a phone or I need a report done. I'm going to go have chat to it so I don't have to deal with it. But there's a lot to be said about keeping up with technology. I absolutely love this. I am so glad we were able after the third go around to get you on this podcast.
1: No, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. And I had a really good time.
0: Yeah, I think it's important. I do think technology is important. I think you're using technology for good to help people be more productive and move forward, and which is awesome to see. What is the size of companies that could use OnLoop before we wrap here? Is it for anybody of any size or are there parameters of how many on your team that you have to have in order to make it more effective?
1: No, we we serve companies of all sizes. And so there really isn't a size limit. It all boils down to the leader. And typically we see leaders who themselves get very excited running orgs somewhere between 50 and 500. And at that size, a leader still very leaned into sort of figuring out how to drive impact at scale in the orgs. But that can sit in a bigger company too, or it can be the full company. So what we really care about is a leader, be it a CEO or a COO or a VP an MD that's really leaned in on driving culture change and sort of building the collaborative team development ethos in their organization. We think about OnLoop must more as an approach versus a tool, and that usually comes with some level of buy-in. And so any leader who has that mentality is an ideal customer for us.
0: Perfect. And for everybody who needs better collaboration in the management teams, it's on loop, OnLoop, O-N-L-O-O-P,
1: com right? Yes, onloop.com.
0: Onloop.com. And Prajal, where can people find you? Where's the best place to find you with any questions?
1: Yeah, I think I think LinkedIn's the best. You can find the company on Loop on LinkedIn or find me, Prajal Khatag on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn's probably the easiest.
0: Perfect. It was so good having you on. Such a good conversation with you about this. And I know you're in Singapore, so your day's just starting as ours is... It is. Down, ...wrapping down over here. And it was so good to have you on the show Rajal, I love to keep us posted what's going on. And this is Sarah Miller with Axis Insight. And we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com.